Luke chapter 6. You've probably heard this verse before, heard these scriptures before, but just to context again, Luke chapter 6, verse 27 says this, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. To him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you hope to receive back, what credit do you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. I am not a, um, I'm not a mountain climber. I don't profess to be a mountain climber. Um, but I've, for some reason, have always been intrigued by people uh, who have climbed Mount Everest. Uh, I've, there's an IMAX movie called Everest. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's fascinating watching people try to ascend this mountain with such a perilous, uh, road ahead and watching this. And I've always kind of been, uh, fascinated, but I have to admit, I probably would never try it. Even if you paid the $60,000, I think it is something like that for all the equipment and for the climbing fees and for the travel. I'm probably not interested in investing my time and effort and risk necessary to climb it. But it's enjoyable watching others climb it. It seems like in some ways that the text that we just read, um, it sounds really good in theory. It sounds really it's one of those things you read in the Bible and you go, well, that sounds good. Um, and there's a part of us as believers that we agree with it and think, well, you know, that, that's, that's what we should be doing. But we really don't know how to apply it. And the idea of trying to do that seems like the Mount Everest of Christian behavior. It feels like in some ways that when Jesus is kind of reading this verse and if you go back through it and you kind of digest it, that the standard of love is as a high of a standard as you can set. And he says that this kind of love is the kind of love that must match the same love we have for God. And it's, it's sort of this pinnacle of love. Because we understand that we talked about in the beginning, he talked to, you know, the two greatest commandments, love your Lord, well, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We got that. It's easy. I can do that. Then it says, love your neighbor of yourself. Yeah, we can work through that. There's some bumps in the road, but it seems 
that there is a level of uh, achievability within those contexts of those statements that make it more palatable. I can love God. I got that part. I can certainly love others, depending on who they are, as I love myself. And then we read, and Jesus said, by all this shall men know you're my disciples. They have loved one for another. Well, I can do that. I got that. I, you know, it's, it's workable. But then Jesus gives us in Luke chapter 6 this, this, this standard of love that is um, quite challenging. Because he goes beyond just the simple fact of loving your brother, loving your neighbor as yourself. But he then goes into the full statement of, um, yeah, it's not just good enough to love people that you like. It's not even just good enough to love people that are in your same church as you. But let's talk about the other side. Maybe we call it the dark side of love. I mean, let's talk about the people that go out of their way to do things to you. Your enemies. That's the people that I want you to really love. Because if I only love those who I find commonality with, if I only love those who know how to love me back... I'm really no different than the people out there. And I've said this before and I said again, we've, we've often touted that we do things that make us different, but a lot of people do those things that don't even profess to know God. So how much of what we do really requires a relationship with God and how much of it just sort of a built-in mechanism of human behavior but then we get in this whole another standard that Jesus says, look, you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You love your neighbor as yourself. By this shall all men know you're my disciples. They have loved one for each other. But this is sort of the entry points into love. Because really where love really shows out is this kind of radical love. It's, I would call it radical love. To love your enemies. Love those who despitefully use you. The, the people that are the, the ones that are going out of their way to hurt you. Those are the people that I want you to love the most. And that's where for most of us, we put on the brakes. Because to us, it's tough. Because there is a level of this that is Difficult for us to kind of chew on. It's difficult for us to comprehend. And so we really don't know how to apply this. And it seems so almost a pinnacle of Christian achievement of behavior that it almost seems somewhat antiquated in its approach. Well, that was good for Jesus. That was good for them. But I don't know if it works in the world we live in. But if you read that, I don't believe Jesus was giving it as an option. I don't think he was saying, look, if you feel like doing this, try it. It seems to me that within the context of what Jesus was saying, he wasn't telling us that this is something we should consider, that it's something we should all strive to do. And the reality is that God's radical love extends to all people, even to those who are ungrateful and evil. And as his children, our love should reflect his love. 
In Matthew, Jesus sets forth this sort of radical love against the backdrop of a, uh, of a uh, Pharisaical interpretation. But Luke is here, in this scripture, Luke is writing primarily to the Gentiles and gives it to us in real raw form. And when you start to peel back this understanding that Luke is telling us, he's really telling us that we must actively engage in good deeds towards those who have treated us wrongly. There's a difference here that we begin to see, and we'll get to it in just a minute. And that is the difference between passive love and active love. And I think in a lot of ways we're okay with the passive love. Because it's okay for us to say to that person that despitefully uses us in our own prayer closet, God, I forgive them, I love them because you love me. That's great. But that's passive love. But it's another thing altogether, which is sort of what Luke is giving us and Jesus is pointing to, is that instead of passively loving that person... I want you to actually, instead of greeting them with a negative response, I want you to get active and aggressive with responding to them in love. All of a sudden that gets really tough to swallow. Because I'm okay with the fact that, hey, you slapped me across the cheek. I'm good with that. I'll go pray. God, you know, help my cheek to heal. Forgive them, God. But it doesn't seem like Jesus is giving us this option. He's not giving us this option that you can sort of deal with this on your own terms. He's kind of giving us a standard that if you really want to experience love and you want to love like I love, then here's the way that I want you to deal with it. Now I want to look at something here because I think it's important. Interpretation. True interpretation is extremely important. And we'll see here in a minute that uh, some have mistakenly taken this out of context. And I want to make sure that when we're talking about this, that we have to build a very sound interpretation and application of these commands. Sometimes the difficult stuff we don't really want to deal with it because it's too hard to understand or maybe requires too much. And so we pull back, but I want to just dive into this head first and let's pull back, but let's look at four guidelines that we'll use to interpret this because I think it's important. We can use it in a lot of, a lot of Jesus's teaching, but I want to just use this tonight as a guideline. And what I'd want to do here in just a few moments, I'm going to try to get through this because in the end, what I'd like to do for those of you that here, we'll turn off the uh, live stream. I'd like to just have a few moments of discussion here at the end. But let's build a foundation for a second. When we're looking at the scriptures, especially the gospels, and we're looking at the words of Jesus, there's some really important things that we need to look at. And if you're taking notes, or you want to just these are some things you always want to make sure that you. Always keep in mind when looking at especially the words of Jesus. Number one, 
You've got to look at the totality of Scripture. What do I mean by that? I mean this. Jesus did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. The Scripture says very clearly in Matthew 5 that he came to fulfill them. Paul, which was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, didn't contradict Jesus either. So when Proverbs, example, Proverbs mocks the lazy man who won't, who work, who, uh, who won't work or the fool who misspends his money. And when Paul stipulates that the man who will not work should not be given food, they're not contradicting Jesus' teaching here that applies sort of uh, some things that might sound contradictory. So the first thing we've got to look at is that Jesus, who was the Word made flesh, according to John one fourteen. He was the word became flesh that because he was the fulfillment of the word, you can't understand Jesus if you take him out of the context of the word of God. Example, and I'm not knocking it, but I've seen people give out little pamphlets of the gospels here. Read the gospels. I think that's a phenomenal way to start if you want an entry point into the Bible. The problem with just reading the gospel is, is it's kind of like taking the middle out of a big, huge novel and you don't understand what this is all about. Because again, he gave us 66 books, not just the four that sound good in the middle with Jesus. How do we know the type of person he was? Because it was built from Genesis all the way through the first 39 books of the Bible until we get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so if we don't understand this, the context of the, context of the totality of Scripture... Sometimes you miss it. The other thing is, we've got to look at the context of the passage. What is he trying to do here? The context is is that he's trying to draw a contrast between the way the world operates and even the religious operate and the way I want my followers, those who confess to know me, operate. There's context here. The third thing when looking at something is, so we look at the totality of scripture, we got to look at the context of the passage, and then we also need to look at Jesus' life to interpret his words. Because why? Because Jesus lived what he taught. So if we want to know what Jesus meant, we need to look how, how he, through his own actions, interpreted what he did. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus talked a lot about forgiveness, but he also practiced forgiveness. Look at the things that he did that that showed this scripture played out. The fact that here he is, uh, uh, that 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 even his closest companions at the time were betraying him, but yet he aggressively returned that with acts of love. And the greatest act of love, because the Bible says, no greater love has this that a man would lay down his life for his friends. So the fact is that Jesus returned the betrayal of Judas. And we can say, well, he knew that was the necessity of of what needed to happen for him to get to the cross. Fine. But he still decided to repay the betrayal of Judas with the greatest act that can be given, and that's to die for a friend. So we look at the life of Jesus because he lived what he taught. 
And by looking how he lived, we can properly understand and apply what he taught. If Jesus was teaching about a passive non-resistance to all evil men, how do you explain his making of the cords and driving the merchandisers out of the temple? So we have, we already know that when Jesus is talking from this scripture, he's not talking about the fact that we just walk around, we just love everybody. Come hit us because we love you. We understand that already from Jesus' interpretation, there's a balance to this. And we'll see just in a minute that the balance is not as much in action, but an attitude. And finally, once we looked at the totality of Scripture, the context of, of the passage, and we look at the life of Jesus to interpret the words, the final thing is we've got to look at our own heart and apply the spirit of his teaching to ourselves, not to others. How does this passage apply to me in my life? Because for each one of us, this is going to be difficult in different ways because for some when they say to love those who despitefully use you some of those people that despitefully use you are close to home so it's going to be difficult for you to interpret this because this is the way you look at it others in this room might be a little quick-tempered got a hair trigger and so now when we're talking about the fact of turning the other cheek For some of you, you're a lover, not a fighter. But others might be differently. So again, the final thing is we've got to look at this and apply it too many times. And I find myself, you know, how many times have you sit there and and, and, and a man of God or woman of God is, is teaching and it's easy to fall in that trap. Boy, this is really good for that person. Oh boy, that's really good for that. They need to be listening. Bottom line, I need it first. Because whether or not you get it, that's between you and God. I've got to get it for myself. And what's amazing to me, it's always amazed me, tonight, this teaching will come from a central point, myself. But we will have, how many people here, 40, 50? We'll have 40 or 50 different interpretations of what was said tonight. Why? Because each one of you will interpret it through your own lens. That doesn't make it wrong. That's the beauty of the word of God. The beauty of the word of God does it. It's not trying to fit a round peg into a square hole. The beauty of the word of God is it fits every person in this room. It doesn't discriminate. So when we get all those things, we can start to really put together a true picture of what Jesus was trying to say. So let's get into this, if we can, for a few minutes tonight. Number one, we'll see... That Jesus is saying that it's radical love, radical love, not just love, this is radical love, requires responding to wrongs with positive ministry toward the wrongdoer, not with retaliation. Now let's get into this for a second. Jesus is assuming here that his followers will have enemies. Notice that that's the last the thing that kind of miss it. Love your enemies, not love in case you have enemies. Guess what? If you follow Jesus, you're going to have enemies. That's what he's saying. Basically, he's saying it without saying it. 
He doesn't say he does say, you know, if you love me, you're going to people are going to hate you. But he just kind of says it here kind of without even emphasizing it. He's saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have enemies. Why? Because his disciples are blessed when men hate them, ostracize them, insult them. He says this. But here's the key. We shouldn't have enemies because of our obnoxious or insensitive behavior. That's the difference. We should have enemies because we are followers of Jesus Christ, not because of our own behavior or our own ungodlike character. And this is sometimes where there's been a gray area because we have used the fact that, see, Jesus said we're going to have enemies to cover the fact that we're jerks. We don't handle ourselves well. We're not friendly. Oh, people don't like our church because we stand for the truth. Well, maybe it's because we're, we're not the nicest people to, to be around. But we talk in tongues. Congratulations. But if we have enemies, it should be the fact because we are living a righteous life and holding firmly to the truth of God's word. And therefore we have an enemy because people of this world are convicted by what we do. Not because they're ostr- they're, 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 they, they feel uh, because of our behavior. Our lives should convict. And notice, again, we got to understand this. When I say our lives should convict, that doesn't mean we make people feel bad because that's not conviction. Conviction should not make someone feel bad. Conviction should say, why are you different and how can I be like you because you're different than me and I want to change because there's something about you that I don't have. That's conviction. Condemnation is where they look at you and the attitude and they feel condemned and they feel like they're no good and we treat them like they're no good because they've got problems. That's not conviction. But our lives should convict. The fact you come on your job and you're happy most of the time should convict somebody. The fact that when they see you, even on your worst days, you still have hope in your life should convict them. Not condemn them. So don't, let's not try to get like the fact that we're going to walk around with sort of the, the, the rod of correction in our hand because we're going to convict everyone. That's not my conviction. Conviction, really, if you notice, truly, if you study conviction in the Bible, the, the core of conviction is love. Because conviction points out my flaws, but points me to him. And conviction makes me want to change and run to the one who can change it. Condemnation makes me want to run away, hide, shame. So we're going to have enemies, but we must respond to the mistreatment by actively loving those who wrong us, never by retaliating. Jesus begins this whole thing with a general statement. Love your enemies. That word love is the word agape, which is the highest level of love that really, truly man cannot reach the level of agape without God flowing through. 
Study in the Bible, the level man can reach on their own is filio, but you can't reach agape love without God flowing through you. So when I love my enemies, I'm not loving my enemies, but I'm letting God love my enemies through me. It's a different, because when I say love your enemies tonight, and you say, I can't do that. You're right. You can't. I can't love those who despitefully use you. You're right. You can't, but he can, and he can love through you. So the word love there is the word agape. And this love is not primarily a feeling, but an action stemming from an attitude. Get this. You got to get this. Those of you that are watching at home, you got to get this. Agape love is not primarily a feeling. We, as humans, we really live in what's called eros. That's the low level of love. And eros is all feeling. And eros is built on what makes me feel good. What's in it for me? Pleasure. It's a really love of pleasure. But this kind of love, love your enemies, is not a love that you need to feel. I don't feel like loving them. That's the point. So it's not a love that stems from a feeling, but an action. And thus it can be commanded. Why can Jesus command us to love our enemies? Because he's saying, I'm not asking you to love them through your love. I'm asking you to let me love them through you. The attitude, this attitude of love thinks about the other person as a, as someone who needs to know forgiveness that is in Jesus. Because why? We were just like them at one point. But thankfully tonight we can sit here and watch this or listen to this because God showed us mercy. This attitude, if we understand that attitude, it frees us to act in ways that shows God's love and grace to the wrongdoer. And that's why Jesus added after that, do good to those who hate you. It's not enough just to refrain from getting even. It's not sufficient to separate yourself from the one who is wrongdoing. Jesus said we must actively do good to the wrongdoer. And obviously we all say tonight, how in the world can I do this? Jesus gives some specific examples. He said this, bless those who curse you. If someone verbally attacks you, he's saying respond with kind words. If someone calls you name or cusses you out, don't respond by telling them off. Even if you do without cursing back. Respond graciously. You might say, wait a minute, time out. I'm sorry if I didn't if I offend you. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be anything between us. Can we talk about it? But that that's that's the start. Jesus gives us further direction. He says this pray for those who mistreat you. He doesn't say pray for them like quoting some religious words. He's literally saying prayer. Prayer here is is sincerely praying for their well-being. So this is starting to paint a picture here that is showing us that that this, this love is not a passive love, but it's actually a very radical and aggressive love because Jesus gives this well-known teaching here, turn the other cheek teaching in this passage. The problem with this is that some have taken this 
to say that Christians should never defend themselves against aggression. I don't believe that's what Jesus was saying here about it at all. I don't believe that's what Jesus was saying here at all. I believe at the core, what is Jesus trying to say? Jesus is trying to talk about the spirit and the attitude, not the action. He's not saying that we should just walk around and just openly let people beat on us. That Christians should be pushovers. You know, that's if you go somewhere and someone, you know, and you're in a business deal and someone mistreats you, doesn't say you just say, oh, well, you know, that's just the way it is. I'm a Christian. That's not what he's saying. But he says how you handle it and the attitude in which you handle it is what really matters. If someone goes to you and you're at the you're at the checkout at Walmart and the lady who's there, who's probably at the end of her shift, marks a couple extra things in your cart, you don't go, oh my goodness, how can you do that? Do you realize you just cost me X amount? That's not how you handle it. You do it with kindness, with love, with graciousness. But it doesn't mean the fact that we as Christians should be pushovers. I think this is sort of the attitude. Because here Jesus is talking about how you respond in attitude. In Matthew's account of this, we read Luke. In Matthew's account, Jesus stipulates getting hit on the right cheek. What does that mean? Well, if I get hit on the right cheek... And you're right-handed, and it's my so I, my right hand, your right, your right cheeks over here. Guess what that is? It's a backhanded slap. You're only being punched like that. That'd be kind of weird and awkward. Probably break your wrist, your shoulder. So when Jesus says, "Have somebody slap you on the right cheek," I think he was even talking about backhanded things. Things that may not even been intended. Because you know what? Here's why. We all have hurts and pains in our life. People around you all the time you're coming in contact with, they've got hurts and pains in your life. There are some people that lash out and strike you and you get in the way and it was never their intention to do it towards you. But that's just their makeup and the way they retaliate. So if we've got this attitude where every time someone kind of comes after us, we kind of have this idea that it's always an insult towards us we don't even know truly why they reacted that way so what jesus was saying instead of looking this as a shunning of you maybe this is an opportunity for you to return in love because that person has been rejected so much in their life that they're giving you another slap in the face but maybe now you can reach across and say but you know what there's still love there so sad today that our world we're living in is the fact that uh, so many people have got so much hurt in their life and they're so used to right off the bat before they even know you. Their attitude is, I'm going to reject you before you have a chance to reject me. They're already on the defensive. 
They're already pushing you at arm's length. You don't, and, and God forbid you come and you find out there that you're some kind of Christian or you believe in God or you go to church. That even furthers it. Before they even realize that, they put you on a defensive. And then when they find out you're a Christian or you believe in God or you go to church, then it's an extra thick wall because they're expecting you to really reject them. And this attitude has become more and more aggressive. See, there was a story of an of a, of a Irishman that used to be a boxer. He got converted, became a preacher. One day he was setting up his tent for a meeting. And two of the local thugs from the town came out and were jabbing at him and talking to him and provoking him. And finally they attacked him and one punched him on one cheek. And so, trying to be the good man of God, he decided uh, that he turned the other cheek and they punched him on the other cheek. He fell down. Then he got back up, rolled up his sleeves, took off his jacket, put up his fist and said, the Bible said right cheek and left cheek, but didn't give any further instructions after that. So let's go. That's kind of the point is, we get so caught up on the action And the fact that Jesus is talking about the action, that we miss the fact he's not really talking about the action. He's really talking about the attitude. The attitude is, you're not fact that you literally, someone slaps you and go, okay, hit me again. It's really talking about the fact, if someone strikes you, you don't automatically put a wall up to them. If you leave yourself exposed... Leave yourself exposed because ultimately there's an open door here for reaching out in love. There are so many stories I could tell you in tonight if I had the opportunity. And that is people that would come to this church in the very beginnings that hated us. Maybe some of you are like that. But it wasn't because you hated necessarily. It's because really there was layers of things in your life hurt. People did some crazy stuff in retaliation to people in church. Or maybe to you because you went to church. Or maybe you you felt the same way. But how we respond can either build a bridge or separate us in an island. I wonder what would happen if we made it attempt to go out of our way when people mistreat us to respond with love and kindness. Have you ever been somewhere and, and, and uh, there's a couple of times where uh, I've been in situations where uh, the person we were dealing with was rude and you just smile back at them. You ever freak somebody out with just smiling at them? Seriously. And I said it's Sunday in our area, people are so stressed. Nobody's smiling. You ever smile back at somebody? And they like, you just, it just freaks them out. Wait a minute, you're not supposed to smile back at me. Nobody smiles back in this. You're supposed to be mad. Now, listen, before you leave here and you're all depressed, or before you turn this off and you're all depressed, because... That person cut you off in traffic and instead of waving and saying Jesus loves you, you wanted to chase them down, pull them out of their car, lay hands on them. Hallelujah. 
we are human beings. I get it. I get it. So we're not talking about building a perfect behavior. We're talking about the idea that as God begins to shape our heart, our minds, our spirits, our attitudes, that there should be some reflection in that and how we treat others. And so sometimes it's easy to say, well, I love everybody, but you never have possibility to reach across and to show a radical type of love. Again, before we understand this, it's not talking about the fact that Jesus is telling you it's okay to get ripped off. It's okay, you know, if a thief, you know, if someone breaks in your house, when you go home tonight, you don't say, hey, I've got some valuables over there. Don't, don't just make sure you take them. I mean, I've heard people that have used this scripture to come up with some crazy things. You know, someone breaks in their house. Well, I can't call the police. I've got to forgive. Well, you keep forgiving while I call 911. <laughs> I told the story years ago. My wife and I think it was very thankful. We did not have kids at the time. Because I'm sure it would have been extremely difficult um, if we had kid, grid, uh, kids to, to deal with. But we had a man, we were, it was, it was late at night, like 11 o'clock at night, something like that. We were preparing to go on a trip the next day, and so we were packing. It was late at night. And um, we lived in a house, a little house next to a road, and um, it was a well-traveled road. And we had a raccoon problem. It was a major, we had a major raccoon problem. I mean, it was constantly in our trash cans. I mean, I was every, seemed like every day we'd get up and I had to clean, we'd clean up trash for them stinking raccoons. They used to drive me crazy. And they were, I mean, if you ever watched raccoons, I don't, they're like, they're, in, they're insane what they can do. They could climb up in the trash can, lift the lid, get down in the trash can, just it was a mess and so i had kind of gotten to the point where i was peaked out with raccoons and we were peaked out with clean up trash and so when they would climb in there we hear them outside we'd bang on the window bang on the door you know do everything flash the lights to get them out of there so this particular night we heard the wrestling by the trash can and assumed well here they go again so i walked over to the porch light flipped it on banged a few times trying to scare them off went back few minutes later, same thing. So my wife went out there this time. I'm like, I want to see if they're out there. Because I'm like, sometimes they got in the trash can. We had, you know, the trash can with the lifting up lid. I mean, they lift the lid, get up in there. And it was amazing to watch. It was fascinating and irritating at the same time. And so we had these little windows on our porch door. And so they, we, we heard the rustling. And so I walked over there, assuming that's what it was. And I peered between the blinds and I did the typical flip the swipe, flip, 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 bang, 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 bang. And my wife was right behind me. And I, this is just, it's, she can verify this. I went and I turned like this to, and I was going to say, I don't know. I can't basically, you know, I don't know. I can't get them to run away. And I, and I got it right here and we hear, wham. And I mean, the door shook, the house shook, the whole, I, I can't believe the door didn't come flying off. And I'm like, that's the biggest raccoon I've ever seen in my life. 
Like, what kind of raccoon is this? Obviously, it didn't take long to realize it wasn't a raccoon. And next thing you know, we heard banging on our windows. Banging, 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 banging. And I thought, well, this is not good. And uh, uh, I knew immediately, immediately, this was somebody trying to get in our house. It, it didn't take long, immediately. And uh, I did not take this scripture literally. I didn't say, hey, come on in. I'm turning the other cheek. That's not what we did. We did the biblical thing. We called 911. And we're on the phone with the operator, and she's telling us. And at the time, you know, one of those things, ever been one of those situations, high stress, high fear situations, it, it certain things probably aren't the way they are, but it seems like they are. And the, at the time that there was banging on one side of the house and banging on the other side of the house at such quick intervals that we just assumed that there were multiple people trying to get in our house. And what really freaked us out is the house we bought, it was built in the 1950s. Our basement door, the glass on it was single pane. It was so thin that if you sneeze hard enough, you probably could break it. And we were just assuming the moment they figure out that that door is there, they're in the house. That's exactly what we thought. And so we're talking to the 911 operator and she says, lock your bedroom door. Go in your closet. Lock the closet door. Stay in there until we tell you to come out. I mean, this is real stuff, right? And we're in there and it's, you know, it was, it was a harrowing experience. And, um, it felt like about six hours. I think in reality it was five minutes. The police show up and we're on the phone with the operator said the police are here. And then a few minutes later they said they've apprehended the guy. And, um, we come out and, uh, it was, it was a cold, it was towards Thanksgiving, so it was cold outside. And there's a guy standing out there in just shorts, no shirt, no shoes, no socks, standing out there. And he was in some third heaven by that time. He was so spaced out. So he had done a little bit of damage. So they arrested him and they said, you know, we might, um, uh, you can come to, you can come to court on his uh, preliminary hearing and um, you can choose that that time if you want to press charges or what you'd like to do. So I said, sure. So we go to, we finally set that up. My wife uh, didn't go. I went to court by myself and um, before it was, um, before it had the opportunity to get to court, his lawyer came to me and says, uh, my client would like to speak to you if you have a moment. I said, sure. So he came and he, he, by that time he, thank God he had clothes on. He did have a suit. And he's sitting there and tears are filling up in his, in his eyes and he, he was very apologetic. Come to find out, long story short, his mom had just passed away. He was raised by his mom. I don't know if he had a dad or not, but he was raised by his mom. She had passed away. He was actually at the bar right around the corner. He was drinking and getting high and was in such a distraught m- mental state that he actually left the bar and just started walking through the woods. And when I flicked the lights, thinking it was a raccoon, it got his attention. And he sort of got disoriented. And come to find out, um, he was a court reporter in D.C. And if he was charged, he would lose his job. And um, 
I had a choice. Press charges and send this guy, I don't know, or choose to just forgive. I'm not saying this because I'm such a good person. I'm just simply making the point. There was an opportunity there to say, I told him, I said, listen, I understand um, what happened. We have no intention of pressing charges. And he just, tears began to flow down his face, turned to walk away. I turned to walk away, got in my car, went home. We got an alarm system. <laughs> we didn't turn that many cheeks. Next thing you know, the next day I was like, ADT? Yes. I'm like, what's the best alarm system you have? I need everything you've got. And that happened again. My point is, is that I've never seen that guy again. I don't know where he's at. I don't know what happened to him. But it's an opportunity to show somebody in that situation love. Again, that was an extreme situation. But how many times have we had the opportunity to not just show passive love, but to show active and aggressive love? Not to say, oh, well, uh, you know, I'll wait for them to come apologize to me, but to go to them, be aggressive about it. Wonder what would change if we started having that attitude towards our enemy. So Jesus is command here. First of all, this radical love requires this sort of different mentality. Those that that wrong do. The second thing is radical love exceeds the world's standard of love. The problem is this. You've got to be careful. I mean, I read this the other day and, and you've got to be careful because I think sometimes we take things too far. I read of a college student that he was in college. He had a burden for some drug addicts, homeless that were living around the corner from him. And he decided to try to help them and ended up taking all of his scholarship money, all of his financial aid money, everything he had and giving it to these guys to help them out to the point where he ended up bankrupting himself. I appreciate his honesty. I appreciate his sincerity, but I don't believe God is asking you to do that. I don't believe God's asking you to put yourself in danger, to put yourself in a situation like that. Because again, For me, I'm an action guy, but God is more of an attitude and spirit behind the action type guy. For example, coming to church, that's an action, but why you come to church is what matters to God. Prayer is an action, but why you pray and how you pray is more important to God. Example, I can teach somebody how to talk in tongues. Think about it. You can teach somebody. You can go up to them and say, you know, just just start rolling your tongue. But we understand that's not speaking in tongues. That's doing the action, but it's not coming from the same place that when you're filled with the Spirit of God, it comes from. 
Too many times we've tried to teach people the behavior without teaching them the attitude and spirit that's necessary that will produce the behavior. I've never taught somebody how to speak in tongues. I've only told somebody you've got to receive the Holy Ghost. And when the Holy Ghost comes, you're going to speak in other tongues. Guess what? Same thing. It's not our job to teach the action, but it's our job to show the purpose and the, and the, and the, and the, the fruit, the, the, the seed of that produces the action. So before we go out here and say, okay, everybody go love somebody tomorrow. And you're walking around just hugging people. That's not the point. The point is to find out how can I, what's the spirit in behind me to make me a conduit of agape in my life. If I can, and how can I be a conduit of agape if I'm not connected to the one who's the source of agape. So in order to love First thing I've got to do is get connected to the source. We talked about back back in January. But if I'm connected to the source, what is one of the ways I know I'm connected to the source? Is that his love flows through me. Because you know what? God's love always bears fruit. You can have a burden that comes from your own good nature. But that burden doesn't always produce fruit. But God's love always produces fruit. That's why people get burned out. You have the turn, burnout. Oh, you got to watch out. People can get burned out. Why do you get burned out? Because you are doing it. Oh, I can't, you know, uh, uh, uh. I, I can't do this anymore. I, you know, I can't. I can't serve in this in this ministry anymore. I can't be a part of this. I'm going to get burned out. Why? Because you are the source. Because if he's the source, there's no burnout. Think about that. You can either have a, you can either be a gas tank, or you can hook yourself up to an oil well. One of the two. You can have a limited supply or hook yourself up to an unlimited supply. So if you're here and you go, I'm just so tired. I'm so weary. I'm so worn down. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know how impossible. All you're telling me is I'm doing it. I'm tired. I'm weary. My strength, my way, my, you're telling me how you're doing it. Because if he's flowing in it, he knows your weaknesses. He knows your ups. He knows your downs. He knows your good days. He knows your bad days. He knows your mountains. He knows your valleys. Because guess what? In your humanity and your weariness, I believe God can navigate your day where he won't put anything in your path. There's some times where we're in weariness and tired. God shuts down schedules, cancels meetings. And we go, well, this is a night to hang at home. Now, the problem with that is if we're not careful, then the pressure is, oh, I can't, I got to be doing something. I got to be loving, 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 loving. But here's the other side of that. People that don't really connect to the source, every opportunity they get, they just take it as, oh, God just let me off the hook. No, if you're connected to the source, there's a balance. God's a God of balance. So bottom line is this. Radical love exceeds the world standard of love. Jesus is 
point in all of this is that his followers must go far beyond the way that the world loves. Jesus contrasts this numerous times when he says, you know, what credit do you? Because sinners do the same thing. Sinners love like this. Sinners uh, uh, lend money like this. Sinners do this. So Jesus' followers in this passage are, are asked to show radical love towards others from a pure motive. Namely, to please the God who loves us and gave his son for us. If God is pleased, then the response of the other person does not hinder our love. What does that mean? It simply means this, that my response to love is not successful or failure based on how they receive it. My response to love them is because I love him. That's the same thing. Let's take it for just a moment here before I wrap this up. And that is, that's what forgive, like forgiveness, right? You say we need to forgive people. Well, I go to you, I go to Sister Victoria's offended me. We can talk about this after we're done, Sister Victoria, about what you did to offend me. But I go to her and I said, Sister Victoria, I just want to let you know uh, that, um, you know, what you did offended me, but I forgive you. And she goes, okay. And the point is, I go, but I asked, I forgave her. Look at the way she responded. I'm not forgiven. I'm not. I'm not. I'm holding on to this. Because my, my thought is, my forgiveness is predicated on her response to my forgiveness. Or, better yet, I go to her and say, Sister Victoria, uh, I forgive you because you didn't shake my hand on Sunday. She's like, oh, I'll, 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 okay, I'm sorry. And, it's, and, 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 and I apologize. Well, it's okay, I forgive you. The next Sunday, I show up. She does it again. I knew she wasn't, I knew she wasn't telling the truth. Because now my forgiveness is predicated on two things. How they respond and if they will repeat the same action. Because that's the problem, right? God, how I can I forgive that person knowing they may do the same thing over again? He told, the answer to that was uh, 70 times 7. How many times should I forgive the person if they keep doing the same thing? Uh, start at 490 times today and then we'll talk. Same thing here. How should we love? Because if I respond, if, 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 if Dylan here is my enemy and I respond back to love, but yet he shuns my love, I don't go see, well, I'm not loving anybody. No, because I'm really not trying to love him. I'm trying to let the love of Jesus flow through me. So really, it's not how he responds. It's really about how my heavenly father looks at me. And through that prism, I'm, I, I've been there, done that. I'm, I've done it my own life. It's so crazy, especially growing up. I heard people say it in the church, still to this day. We don't care if God knows. We just don't want the pastor to know. As if somehow God is oblivious. And the, don't tell the pastor I did that. It's not as bad anymore because everyone just posts all their stuff on Facebook. So it doesn't matter. You don't really don't I mean like seriously, you don't need the Holy Ghost as much anymore. Just go on Instagram, Facebook, and you get all the information you need. 
30 years ago, 40 years ago, you had to pray. Now you just need Facebook. But it's crazy is the fact that was the attitude. Oh, 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 don't tell the pastor that we did this. Don't tell. I hope the pastor, I hope the church people in the church don't find out. (gasps) As if God's going up there. Okay, well, they didn't know. I guess I don't know either. It's like the story of a little boy. You ever play hide and go seek with a child, especially two, three years old? I loved, I always loved playing with my kids when they were young like that because it would always crack me up. Because their attitude would be, they'd be standing in the middle of the room. You're like, all right, ready or not, here I come. And you hear them giggling, hee, 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 And you're like, ready, they're trying to hide. And they, you know, they, they knew it's, you know, seven, eight, eight and a half. Try to give them extra time. You're like, ready, ten. They haven't found the hiding spot. So what do they do? They just get in the middle of the room. Hee, 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 hee. You can't find me. You know, and as parents, you're like, where are you? I don't know where you are. Because they figure if you can't see me, if I can't see you, you can't see me. That's exactly how we approach him. Well, you know, God, I can't see you. I guess that can't mean. I wonder if you approached your day trying to please him. No matter what the response was to others around you. What if I shared the love of Jesus Christ to you? And whether or not you rejected me or not didn't matter to me. How effective could we be as conduits of the love of Jesus Christ if the other person receiving that love, their response didn't matter? So hard for us to be witnesses of what God does in our life because we don't want to be rejected. What? How effective we could be as witnesses if it didn't matter what happened? No farmer picks up seed and throws it out there going, oh, I wish this, I hope this ground takes the seed. He throws it knowing that some seed is going to fall on good ground. Some seed's going to fall on thorny ground. Some seed's going to run on, 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 on stony ground. Some seed is going to find good ground. It's not the seed. It's the ground. If we would just focus on the fact that our love is indiscriminate. We love aggressive, passionately, everyone. But their response to that love is not a success or failure on how much we love. The success of that love is the fact that we are connected to him and his agape is flowing through us. And if they rejected him, they're probably going to reject us. Last time I checked, I did read this somewhere in the Bible. It's a big key point. His love ended up having them reject him and send him to the cross. I've thought about this, right? I'm, 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 I'm wrapping up here to give you hope. That the, the, the main street the, 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 that Jesus passed on as he left the trial to head to Golgotha. That main road that he traveled on. By that time, the news had gotten out. People had begun to crowd. We know it because, don't forget, when he couldn't carry it anymore, they grabbed the the man out of the crowd and had him carried. So there was people. I've often wondered, how many people that day were in that crowd that were a part of the 5,000 that he fed? The 4,000. How many people there that day were looking at him with healed hands 
with ears that could hear, with eyes that could see, with limbs that could function because of his healing touch. But yet they'd watched him walk by in pain and agony and did nothing. The Bible doesn't say, but come on, let's be honest. It had to have happened. What about this? What about the Roman soldier that Jesus did a miracle for for his house? He had to have known all this. This is not a a, a side note. This became a huge public uh, 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 display here with Jesus and the crucifixion and all that. How many people did, as he was up on that cross in agony? With every breath being with great agony. How many times did he look out at the crowd that was passing by? Because the Romans never crucified somebody in private. The whole point of crucifixion was to make it a public spectacle. How many people walked by that cross that day and Jesus looked down to them and had healed their mother, healed their father, healed their son, healed their daughter, how many people walked by and stood at that cross that day and looked up at him with eyes that were once blind but now can see? And he looked at him and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because his love was not predicated on the whether people would receive that love. He loved no matter what. My love is not predicated on whether you receive that love. I just love knowing probably I'm, it's going to get rejected. It used to bother me when I was younger. It used to bother me. It was intimidating, especially in the beginning when I was younger. I remember we were at the, uh, um, uh, we, we were doing it, uh, a, a um, outreach at Newtown 20. I was 18, 19 years old, something around that line. And I remember just knocking on door after door after door after door after door. And as that young 18, 19-year-old kid, I would just knock on that door and hold my breath. Please, God, don't let him come to the door. Because I'm like, at least I can feel good. I knocked on the door. They just weren't home. And it was always freaked me out when the door started open. I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? And I don't know. And I think at one point in time, we knocked every door in that neighborhood eventually. I don't know of any positive. We had some people that were kind. We had some people that were scary. We had some people that were rude. We had some people that were half-dressed. We had some people that were drunk. Some that were high. I don't know if anybody opened the door and said, Come in. Show me the love of Jesus. I didn't get any of those stories. I'm still waiting for one of those Brother Libby stories like Bishop tells that, you know, knocked on the door and they're in there smoking pot and speaking in tongues. I've had that. I'm looking for that testimony. I've had one of those. I had the testimony of the lady with the, the nightgown. I open up the door. She's like, hello. I'm like, we're just trying to here to reach the community. Just one of the, just in, just in, I'm like, what do you do from here? I don't have that. And it used to struggle. It was a struggle to me. And it got to the point where, uh, where we, 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 we had this, this, some of you weren't here at the time, but back in 2003, 
the building that was over there collapsed. And at the time, we were what we were doing, axe in action. Come on, y'all. Y'all that are around remember the axe in action. Had the big axe in action side on the bus. Well, at the time, I was a youth pastor. And the youth were tax, tasked to be the flyer passer-outers for axe in action. We had these flyers like this big. We put labels on them. And we were tasked to be the ones. And, and I believe, I, I don't remember the exact number, but we, 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 we passed out somewhere in the tens of thousands. Literally. Tens of thousands. These stacks of boxes. We'd be out there. I remember one day, sticks in your mind, we were passing out flyers the day that the Columbia spaceship blew up coming back into, coming back from outer space. We were passing out flyers that day. And I say, we did that for months. I don't remember what it was. We, I mean, we, I still to this day, I go by neighborhoods and I go, I've knocked every door in that neighborhood. And we never had one person, not one person show up from any of those door knockings. It used to bother me because I was like, you know what? Oh, we're doing all this. Where's the fruit of it? Where, where can we, where's the fruit? But then I realized, wait a minute, I'm not doing it unto them. I'm doing it unto him. Some sow, some water, God gives the increase. It's not my job to give the increase. It's just my job to be the sower or the waterer. If you watched last week's virtual, the Bible says, was to seek and save that which is lost. That's what Jesus came. Well, I can't save. And I, I really don't know who's lost. He's the one that knows lost. So what's my only job? Just seek. So my job is not to have you loved me back? My job is just to love. My job is not to determine success or failure on how you respond. My job is just simply to love, not with eros, not with filio, but with true agape. Because agape love comes from him. He's the source. This is difficult because you know why? Here's the problem. We talk about all this. It's difficult to apply in our life because you can't apply this if you're not connected to Jesus. You go out tomorrow and you try to do this without a firm foundation of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It will backfire and you'll go, see, all that stuff is nonsense. It'd be kind of like being, I used it, I'll, I'll finish with this. It'd be kind of like being, a, you ever climbed any mountains? A rock wall. That does not count. Real mountain climbing. Have you done that? I've never done either. Okay, some hiking. But you never really climbed. So if I gave you all the right gear, whatever that might be, and we went down to whatever, you know, we, we, we called up some company, North Face, I don't know, and said, hey, we, I've got a friend that wants to climb Mount Everest. What is the gear we need? Well, you're going to need this. You're going to need We bought you $20,000 worth of gear. I loaded you down and I looked at you and said, Dylan, go do it, buddy. You might try that, but your chance of succeeding is probably zero because you don't know the route to take. You've never done it. You don't know where the pitfalls are. You don't know where you need this tool or when this tool or you need this rope and you need this hammer and you need this place and this is a good place to camp. Why? Because you've never done it before. So what do they do? When you do that, you hire a guide. 
You hire somebody that's been to the mountain and is gone. They know where to go. And your job, really, that's why there's stories. Go read it. Blind people have climbed Mount Everest. Blind. I probably would climb it if I was blind because I, I, I don't know where the sides are. And the job of the blind, literally, I, I, it was a fascinating story. There's a blind person that climbed Mount Everest. And their job was simply to stay connected to the person who knew where they were going. This is a Mount Everest of behavior. But I'm not telling you, here's your equipment. Now get up in the morning and go climb that mountain. Because more than likely, you're going to fall off. You're going to fall into some ice crevice. You're going to come Sunday with a bunch of bruises going, hey, I tried that love stuff. It didn't work. I'm done. But you don't even need to see the climb if you're connected to the one who knows how to get to the top of the mountain. So before you leave out of here tonight and you go get all your spiritual gear on, oh, tomorrow morning, I got to get up and pray. I got to read my Bible. I got to do all these things. I got to get all my climbing gear together. And you start climbing and more than likely what's going to happen, you're going to slip and fall down the mountain. Your job is to just find the one who owns the mountain. Grab a hold of him and just say, where you lead me, I will follow. Because if you do that, as you go up throughout your day, you can have confidence that whatever situation he's put you in, he's put you in for a purpose. So if you, if, hey, trust me, never go to a store with me. Don't go to Costco or Sam's or Walmart with me. Because you know why? I'm the worst at picking out the right fastest line. Three lines. I pick the shortest because that's obvious the way I go. It's the slowest. I can't tell you how many times I'll switch line three times trying to find the fastest line. And it doesn't matter because every line I go to, the clerk goes, that fellow's in there. I need to slow down. But if I'm walking with him, I even know that the line he puts me in, he puts me in a purpose because he's trying to get Joel to learn how to chill. That when he puts me in a situation and I walk up and the one person who helps me in the store happens to be the rudest person in the store. Maybe he's doing that for a reason. But if I'm not connected to him, everything's chance. But if I'm connected to source, I can have confidence where he leads me. I will follow. Radical love. This is not normal love. This is not love like everybody else. This is taking love to a whole new level. This is taking love beyond where the comfort zone. Because you know what? I can tell you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind strength. You can do that sort of in your own way. I can say love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, I can handle that. Little filio, I can do that. In Philadelphia, we can have the brother love in here. But the moment I say start loving your enemies, do good to them to spitefully use you, and you've got to get into agape, that puts you and him where it really is about where you are with him as much as you are with this. So let's get out of the Eros. Let's get out of the Filio. What if we became a place that we were radically in love with Jesus and therefore we could radically love like Jesus? What would happen? Father, we love you. We thank you tonight.
Lord, I thank you for every person that's in here tonight, those that are watching online, those that will watch this week. We cannot do this without you. We need you. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is so, so very weak. I pray tonight, God, that the spirit of revelation be upon us. Open our eyes that we can see. Open our hearts that we can receive. Our ears that we can hear what the spirit is saying to the church. God, let us become passionate about our love for you. That we can become passionate about our love for others. That as we connect to your agape love, that you, we can become conduits for your agape love. That we can become radical with our love. Not just have love like everybody else, but we could have radical love, extreme love. That we could show that love to those that we come in contact with every day. That when they feel our love, they would not be feeling the love that comes from humans, but they would be feeling the love that only can come from you. I pray this in Jesus' name. I speak this in Jesus' name. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for those that have watched online. Let's continue to go forward and let's love radically. In Jesus' name. God bless you.